Welcome sentient beings from all known universes and beyond. It's time to activate your cranial downlinks and prepare to receive a raft of discussion on a cosmic ocean of science fiction and fantasy topics, interviews with local area genre devotees, and insightful prognostication by our soothsayers of science fiction, our forecasters of fantasy, and any other beings that happen to get caught in our gravity well. This is the Galactic Driftwood Podcast. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Galactic Driftwood Podcast. I'm Bill. I'm Linda. I'm Jenna. I'm Seth. I'm Charles. And I'm Chris. And we made it through the introductions. Good with nobody talking over anybody. That's a plus. We're on a, on a roll here. So um, today is going to be kind of exciting. We're going to be talking about the new Dune 2021 movie, um, part one, since part two obviously isn't out yet. And yeah, yeah, I thought they filmed it all at once. Well, I did too. Yeah, uh, they that was even filmed part two yet. No. no, but no, they have right? wait. Apparently, they secured a two film deal when they made the agreement with Warner Brothers. So, um, but they haven't yet greenlit the start of part two. So, you know, with all the, you know, by the time you get all the acting done and the special effects, we're probably looking at another year out before we see part two. I would at guess least. way it's more than a year, lucky. probably. Yeah. 2023 yeah like if we're lucky if this is successful enough that they say go because right. like well, from what i read the the director he's ready he's like biting at, ah, biting at the chop to <laughs> um to to get this movie started obviously the actors are probably like do i sign up for another film do i get into this do i not um right. i mean they got things they gotta do too yeah. yeah. Well, and and so I think all of us have seen it. Uh, Charles uh, seen parts of it, although he kind of <laughs> confessed to falling asleep because he was really tired. So he'll have, to, he'll have to watch it again, probably. But um, what did everybody think? Let's start with Jenna. Okay, I I really appreciated how the director and the uh, obviously the photographer the people who deal with landscape scenery and everything appreciated the original David Finch film. Mm-hmm. Like there was a lot of little odes in the imagery. I mean, cause you have the source material, you're going to have the same, some of the same lines, the same emphasis, the story points, but there's definitely a lot of great little touches in terms of just the style of the building, the uniforms, all that stuff that they maintained. And I appreciated that, <clears throat> but then just expanded upon, which was beautiful. Yeah. Chris, how about you? Um, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I'm concerned uh, over something we were just talking about with the part two not being started yet, uh, yeah. because the movie is really built around a longer story that isn't all told. So it's not complete. And that's obvious when you watch the movie. However, uh, you know, I think I, I read a comment uh, that you made somewhere. This is like, you know, a little bit of of Game of Thrones in space in terms of how they do the storytelling and things like that. So mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Uh, the soundtrack was phenomenal. The scenery shots that they did were absolutely, uh, you know, a cliche word out there. It was stunning. Uh, yeah. It was great. I, I loved it. it. It's a bit of a, a departure 
in terms of uh, a better made movie than the previously made uh, Dune movie. Right. And um, I think they cut some things out that I would have liked to have seen in there. Um, but uh, overall, I, I enjoyed it. It was, it was a 10 out of 10 for me. Um, I think that value of, of how I like the movie goes down the, the further we get away from the possibility of a part two, though. So this movie does not work, to be frank, without a part two. Right. Um, but if you know the story of Dune and you know where it's going, uh, I would hope that, you know, they do a lot of these visions in the movie that Paul Atreides has um, when he starts interacting with the spice and it, it gives yeah. a little bit of telling towards the future and everything. Uh, I would hope that some of those scenes come to fruition. Some of them do, some of them don't. Some of them are, are not what he thought they might be. But, um, you know, they, they, they depict a holy war in some of those visions. And mm. I hope that that would, I was hoping before I found out they hadn't even started on part two, that some of those were glimpses of the next movie to come out. So it doesn't sound like that might be the case, but it, it does show some potential there, I think. So I loved it overall. All right. Let's uh, jump to Linda. Linda, what'd you think? You're muted. <laughs> I liked it. I thought it was um, like like uh, Jenna said, a good homage to the uh, previous ones, and uh, I think it has a really good storyline. I mean, it's it's interesting. It's I mean, the young protagonist, as always, you know, <laughs> they always have to find some little good looking kid to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's got Jason Momoa in it, so uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he was good. Um, all right, let's uh, jump to Seth. Seth, what would you think? Uh, this is movie of the year for me. Yeah. And if the second part is delayed significantly, it's going to cause me physical distress. <laughs> Agreed. Dune, Dune is yeah. one of Dune is maybe one of the very first uh, science fiction novels that I yeah, read. Same here. It's mm -hmm. I've read it numerous times throughout the years, uh, and I now I really want to read it again, and I'm gonna. But and I. I also really love, I still love the David Lynch version. I think that's a lot of fun yet. I need, I didn't get a rewatch that before uh, wa watching uh, this one. And I want to rewatch the, uh, the sci-fi miniseries that they did sometime in the 2000s. Yeah, I never watched that. It was oh, a we could have a watching party. Yeah, you maybe should. Yeah. It was it was uh, it was good from what I recall. I, I didn't get through all of it, but it was good. Huh? Yeah, I still have it on DVD. I, I wonder if the DVDs are any good yet. Probably. Because <laughs> so. uh, I need to show that version to Aaron too. If we're not going to do a watch party, I really I, I need to borrow that Seth. I, I'd be happy to, but it would be a long watch party. Don't get me wrong; that miniseries is long. Yeah, but uh, this. <laughs> This was so true to the books. I was just so happy because I was quoting along with the movie in parts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, some of those lines are just burned into my brain. Right. Um, how about you, Charles? Any thoughts on the parts you did see? 
or did you get enough of exposure to it? Oh, to I, I form did. An opinion? I did. Yeah. I hate to, I'm not as excited about it as everybody. But I, I do have to say something though. When I, because Dune was one of my first books, sci-fi books also. But I think I was too. I realized a little while ago. I looked something up, and I read a page of Dune. I must have been. I don't. I don't know what I was doing, but I read a page or two again. Yeah. And I went. Well, I didn't remember the writing being as good as it was. Huh. Well, but I was a kid. I mean, I was yeah. middle school or something. So right. I was. Uh, <laughs> you didn't have a lot too, of perspective at that point. Well, I was too young to, I think, appreciate good writing. So, yeah. uh, or at least that wasn't what I was going for at the time, right? I, I was looking for uh, gunfire or something at that age. Oh right, big space battles and yeah, yeah. Dune wasn't the Dune didn't quite I mean, yeah more of so, a Star Wars type of yeah. That's what I was expecting. Think. So I, I yeah, I'm always Dune's kind of a, a weird spot for me. Um, and this was no different. It's the the there's a lot of awe and a lot of long scenes and yeah, <laughs> right. So and um, that's I'm gonna have to watch it. it. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to watch it when I'm not not the end of the day. Right. <laughs> yeah, Jenna. What? I was just gonna say. I think there are some people who are gonna have Charles reactions. That I think for some people the pacing didn't work, and we still have to get to Chris. But I think we should talk more about that later because I have seen some of the the feedback from friends who are like, the pacing sucked. Do I was just sitting there the whole time like do something. Right. Yeah. No, we, we, we hit Chris. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I had already commented earlier, but, but I'll yeah. add on, on that pacing part. Dune, the, 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 it's not a small book, right? No. There's, it's a oh. big story to talk about. And there's a lot of things going on in, in the story with these mobile houses um, and, and getting control of this uh, planet Dune. And, and for those of you that, that might aren't aware of the story, you know, one of the things, is you know he who controls the spice controls the universe the spice uh has mm. extreme value uh to these noble houses it, it powers you know space travel and 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 a, and a lot of other things um so there, there's a lot to talk about and in dune the story itself actually continues for several more books yeah. um and uh it's just it's the saga if you will of, of the story and uh, I, I am glad that they're going to do this in multiple parts. Again, they've only filmed part one. Um, and okay, we met, you mentioned uh, Jason Momoa earlier, uh, Linda. And I will say I, I was actually kind of surprised. Uh, if, I, if I recall correctly, they actually didn't find a reason to get his shirt off in this one. Is that right? <laughs> I was thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, what's they, up they with that? to keep a shirt on him the entire film. Uh, I wonder so, if he felt respected for that. Uh, I, yeah, I I don't know. I was actually kind of surprised, but uh, he he played uh, uh, was it Duncan? Duncan Idaho. Uh, yeah, Duncan, and uh, uh, yeah. he did a, a phenomenal uh, job in this role. And, and Duncan is a, a battle hardened warrior, you know, a trusted uh, trainer of the troops and all this stuff. And uh, he he definitely lives up to the name. I think they gave him uh, a much better uh action-packed role than i think of the previous film and showing off his skills and, and how great mm -hmm. of a warrior he was so mm -hmm. but i think it was still I, I need to reread the book but i think it was still truer to the book 
than the previous yeah. film was to him. It was. Yeah. Or Duncan Idaho, that is. Yeah, yeah. And I actually caught myself having to go back to try and remember what was part of the book versus what was part of the previous movie. Uh, yeah. Because they, it this did deviate uh, a fair amount from the from the previous movie. Granted, the movie the the previous movie is the entire book basically crammed into one uh, storytelling. Mm-hmm. This one covers only a portion of the uh, the book, so you don't get the full story. But uh, it's still very well told, in my opinion. And and pacing, I think, could be again an issue if you're not aware of the full. Uh, story you, you don't you, you're not anticipating anything coming up or you're not aware what's coming up so that can be a hard thing to portray on screen but I think they did a good job that if there wasn't a lot going on they were giving you plenty of eye, con- eye candy in the meantime to kind of awe, awe about so I, I enjoyed it still yeah. yeah you know and I think oh sorry um, I think uh, part of the reason for the pacing too uh, along the lines of game of thrones which we referenced was that you know they're doing a lot of um building up the the drama and the political intrigue between the houses and the emperor and -hmm. also the freeman and and what their goals are um Mm -hmm. so i thought that was good uh and i think you know we we want ended up watching it with a couple of friends here on hbo max and um um one of the guys joel is uh, a huge dune fan uh fan of the books and and so he was um very pleased with the movie and and how uh, uh closely it followed and matched the books um but our you know our big concern was the fact that yeah it's not like a uh, star wars where there's you know constant space battles and lightsaber mm-hmm. wars and that kind of stuff it's more you know political intrigue and is and it's more I don't want to say highbrow, but more kind of an intellectual thing where you're sitting there and kind of watching what the interplay between these different houses and trying to figure out where that's going. And the concern was, well, is the public that now that is preconditioned to like these Transformer style, uh, Spider-Man style action films, are they going to actually embrace this new type of movie or this this type of movie and enough that it's going to be successful and we'll see more like it? If there's not an explosion every 30 seconds, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> but I have kind of, I, I was going to say pretty much the same thing about the plot. At least, at least in the beginning, it's all... Uh, turning up the heat on the boiler with uh, political intrigue and mm-hmm. right. kind of introducing us to the houses. I'm surprised we didn't see the emperor himself at some point. Yeah. Uh, but that will be for movie two. Right. Probably. They said and- they'd already signed for two movies though, right? It does, like yeah. They can't cancel it now if Americans get super bored. Well, it's doing well in the box office from what I've seen. So it should be, they've pretty much already almost made their money for the first budget, uh, for the budget for the first film. So I'm, I'm hopeful. I was just surprised knowing that they were going to do a multi-part movie that they didn't make the attempt to film it all at once. And maybe there's some other factors outside if that's what's been going on in the last couple of years um, that kind of put it, you know, too much strain on trying to film uh, that. But uh I, I just want to see an announcement in the next 30 days. That, yep, we've started yes. on filming part two. would be great. Right. And it would boost, I think, you know, people wanting to go out and go see this one as opposed to being like, you know, there's only part one. They're not going to make another one. 
Uh, yeah, we'll see. So what I think they did very well, because like Seth and all of you have said that this is such a big world in space epic. Um, and they didn't obviously want to utilize uh, David Finch's mind where you hear people's thoughts. <laughs> I thought they did a really good job creating scenes and dialogue to explain the world in little pieces. So, mm -hmm. but my only concern is for the average viewer who's expecting everything to be in your face, um, if they weren't listening, they could have missed important storylines because like in the 1984 version, you actually see, you don't just hear, oh, they use spice to bend space and travel. You see it, you see the navigators. Yeah. And, yeah. The, and I kind of felt like that was probably throughout the whole thing. The only thing I, I, I really missed, I wished I could have seen the navigators in this version been space to travel the ships so then it just really drives home this this spice is critical to this universe and uh, i mean beyond any understanding yeah and that and being a life extender you know what i thought was kind of interesting was that um so the navigators in the the space guild um they rely on the spice which yes. we know comes from it's a uh, byproduct of the worms on arrakis mm -hmm. um and What's that? Yeah, worm, worm poop. poop. <laughs> right. And uh, I thought it was uh, was interesting that the uh, the space guilds, the large transport ships that transport all these big freighters and everything, almost looked uh, like uh, giant space worms to me. And oh. it seemed to me that you know maybe that was an intentional thing because of the guilds reverence for the worms and the spice and that they wanted to sort of reflect that in their ship design i suppose but do they know that i i, I guess i can't yeah, remember but i don't it's... think they know that the oh. fremen know that yeah but no one else knows yet that this is the worms are the source of the spice oh okay yeah i wasn't aware of that but that that boiler yeah <laughs> in watching that that's that kind of struck me that their ships were kind of um, these large, you know, yeah, gigantic, okay. what, 20 mm -hmm. kilometers long or something. I mean, because they hold these giant frigates, which we see on the planet. And I don't know if you can find a picture of that, mm -hmm. Linda. Um, um, but uh, they so show. It could be a subconscious thing. Because yeah, it could be. The, they consume, <laughs> the navigators consume so much spice that it mutates their bodies to nearly yeah. uh, almost into like, reverting back to a fetus almost mm. is like some of the representation they had in the first movie David yeah. Lynch and I think it was a similar description in the book itself so uh that that it could be very much it's in their mind they don't even know it yeah mm -hmm. and the other thing I, I liked um oh yeah so there's uh there's one of the pictures we're showing Linda showing on screen now these are the um giant space frigates that belong to House Atreides um or treaties treaties yeah and uh so they're uh this is when they're originally landing on the planet and you know um it kind of to me foreshadowed disaster uh this scene because when you see them leaving caladan um all these giant frigates are hidden in the oceans of the planet and you see them rising up out of the ocean um, 
to load up and, and head to Dune. And presumably they're being hidden under the ocean so that they're not susceptible to being destroyed by House Harkonnen or, or some other house, right? Um, but now here they are on the planet Dune and they're just sitting out here kind of exposed. Uh, they don't have any way to hide them. And, um, you know, to me that, I don't know if that was because there really was no place to hide them or because they just hadn't gotten far enough in their thinking to think, well, okay, we need to hide these things, or at least at the very minimum, we need to disperse them around the planet or something. Because then of course, you know, when the attack comes, uh, they're, they're particularly vulnerable. Yeah. I will say that um, I don't know if they had too much concern around them because they did have shields right. on all of the ships. Now we, yeah. we, we come to find out later that, there are special weapons that can penetrate those shields, um, which I thought was an awesome way of how they portrayed it. Cause it's not like they were hundred percent defenseless mm -hmm. from a normal attack anyways, but uh, there is a scene where, uh, you know, the, the Atreides come under attack from the Harkonnens and, and their special army and they're dropping these unique kind of bombshells onto the, uh, those ships that we just had up. And just before impact, you see it kind of slow down yes. uh, to kind of spin and penetrate the shield and then drops the uh, explosive device onto the ship. And I thought that was pretty cool because uh, yeah. it, it, uh, they have a shield technology in, in this world of um, uh, Dune, if you will. And uh, you can have personal body armor and you have to, to penetrate that armor, you have to come in with either some type of special weapon or come in kind of slowly and the shield mm -hmm. will allow that that object to kind of penetrate it. That's and so it's kind of cool to see when when you get your first real big battle that happens in the movie, um, there are bombs that have that unique technology built in where they can just drop it on one of those ships and it'll slowly kind of penetrate the shield and then kind of drop right. onto it and explode. So I thought that was pretty awesome. Yeah. But you, to, to, your, to your point, Bill, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if they were that concerned about hiding it. You're right, though. That it's not like they had much of an option on a planet that was all sand. Right. Oh. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we also see that they have kind of a firearm that'll do the same thing. Yeah. But Jason Momoa was not impressed by it. He just, <laughs> the bullet has to slow down to go through the shield and he yeah. just knocks it out of the way. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I thought the fight scenes were really interesting because, you know, they have these personal shields, right? So mm -hmm. you're fighting like you would see ninjas fight right but yeah. at the point at which the blade gets within about an inch of the body you have to slow down to super slow speed in order mm -hmm. to get through that shield to make a cut and so it it's it's this fast movement and then all of a sudden a instant slowdown uh for the last few inches or the last inch there and i thought they did a great job of uh, the way they portrayed that um, yeah. weapons getting through the shields yeah, and it makes red sense flashes. like why sorry yeah um, why they would go back to blades in spite of being a forward mm. futuristic society because fast projectiles like bullets lasers are not going to work anymore because of this right. self-defense technology right they're going the it most of the combat unless you've got these darts that you've saw like the doctor use or the assassin uh mm -hmm. fast projectile weapons will not work anymore so you have to get more intimate again with the fighting yeah well and um I think uh, you do see lasers at some point in the show, but you don't see lasers firing at anything that has a shield. And the reason is because right. of there's like a 
almost like a nuclear reaction when that happens uh, and it's bad for both sides. So yeah. you can fire uh, lasers and you see some of that happening, uh, but you only see it going after um, unshielded people or ships. Um, so that that's uh, kind of an interesting twist as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. and you can't use shields out in the desert because they will drive the sandworms mad. Right. And you will basically country. seal your own doom. Yes. Which is why in one of the dreams Paul has, we see a, bu a bunch of Fremen fighting a bunch of Sardaukar and no one has shields. And yep. the yeah. Sardaukar are getting their butts slaughtered. Kicked. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, um, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, just I was going to say, speaking of the, the Sardaukar, I really appreciated the diversity of language and communication that they brought in this movie. Like, I thought it was really cool that House of Trades, instead of getting mind reading uh, between like Jessica and her son, they use sign language. Yeah. yeah to was pretty sweet. To communicate as a background and to strategize or that, you know, House Harkonnen has their own language from their planet and the Sadukar have a language. Like, I, I thought that language diversity was pretty cool. Yeah, I'm a, yeah, for the listeners, the Sardaukar are the emperor's elite uh, military mm -hmm. force, right? And um, the Harkonnens, which we probably haven't mentioned, are the the bad guys of the film. They're kind of like the uh, um, oh, Game of Thrones reference. Um, what was the, the, uh, the who was the House of the Bastard? Because the House of the Bastard, uh, yeah, that right, would be the appropriate match. I yeah, think. Stark. Yeah, the, yeah. the not Stark. It's the uh, Boltons. Oh, yeah, the Boltons. Different, sorry, different bastard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Boltons. No, yeah, the yeah Boltons. on the on the Harkonnen, so they 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 feel pretty slighted in this one because they they basically the way the movie starts out, how they're telling the story is the Harkonnens had been mining spice on that planet for a long time and became extremely wealthy off the spice, um, and then they basically had to leave, and House Atreides was coming Ooh. on. Uh, to take over uh, the, the, the spice production and broker basically peace with uh, the Fremen there. Uh, and Harkonnens were not having it. Um, so that's the Baron pictured there. Uh, I thought the Baron, the way the Baron was done for this production was phenomenal. Uh, yeah. um, stars and I appreciate it yeah. that he wasn't as ugly as the first portrayal in the, in the, in the older film. Uh, right. I think this one was done really, really well. Uh, yeah, I thought he was... dark. Right, very dark, very menacing, yep. um, and uh, you know, you you worry sometimes that in the film that they're going to overplay the evil character to the point that it becomes a a caricature or almost kind of ridiculous. But this, mm -hmm. I thought, was spot on. Yeah, um, yeah, they did did a really good job I, with yeah. that. And I don't like, think they could have gotten a better person than Stanley no, right. like, He's the king of that, that subtle menacing, conniving. Well, that, that's, that's one of the um, things I wanted to talk about is that I thought the casting for this movie was kind of perfect. <laughs> I mean, I did gran too. granted, uh, Jason Momoa plays Duncan Idaho as Jason Momoa. But, <laughs> uh, right. Uh, that's, how, that's hilarious, Seth, real quick, just because I told Gina that, that like he basically plays himself as you know, another character uh, in these movies is what we're going to say going forward. So yeah, he he's just like, well, how would how would I act in space? How would I <laughs> act if I were Aquaman? 
Yeah, that's and pretty much it. To his credit, I I just love seeing Jason Momoa, so I don't yeah. have a problem with that. <laughs> yeah, and I liked uh, uh, Rebecca Ferguson. She plays uh, Lady mm-hmm. Jessica, the wife mm-hmm. of uh, Leto Atreides. She was never concubine. Yeah, right. They were never married. Right. Sorry, yeah. you're correct. Yep. And I thought she did a great job. Um, I really liked her performance in that. Um, I liked the way they pl- uh, portrayed the Benny Gesserit. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I thought oh, their yeah. costumes, creepy. yeah, their costumes were great. That scene where um, the Benny Gesserit ship lands and the Mother Superior and a bunch of them come out of the ship yeah. and they're walking in the rain with the lights of that big lander kind of illuminating the thing. I thought that was just really, uh, really mood setting, uh, tone setting for the whole group. Um, I really like that. Um, I liked uh, Oscar Isaac in the role of Leto Atreides. Mm-hmm. Um, he was really good. Yeah. Um, I, of course, I loved him in um, Rogue One as well. He's a, a great actor. So he made a funny comment there when he's talking, he's talking to Paul in the very beginning. Yeah. And he's like, uh, you know, what did you always want to be? And he's like, I always wanted to be a pilot. And Gina turns to me and starts <laughs> laughing. Like, oh, well, you know, he has played a pilot in a <laughs> Right. Right. <laughs> um, Josh Brolin as Gurney Halleck. He was really good too. Yep. Uh, a lot good. of gravitas there. He was really good. Um, yeah, I liked them all. Um, I want to see more of Zendaya. Um, I think uh, we're going to see a lot more of her mm-hmm. in uh, in uh, part two, the move part two of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, when that disappointed she didn't get more more airtime, more more, yes. more. But her screen part, time, her, her part really doesn't start until part two. So again, right. we have a, a lack of a story that there's more to be told here. And part one will will fall short for some of these cast members. Their story doesn't begin until right. part two. Right. Yeah. Without part two, I don't think part one was worth the money because you're leaving your audience just completely unsatisfied. Yeah. On a cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah. But on a positive note, uh, the cinematography was amazing. The acting yeah. was amazing. Um, the way they uh, adhered to the book was amazing. I mean, I want to oh, definitely want to so watch good. it again. Oh, we, we need to talk about the sandworm effects. Oh, that yeah, attention yeah. To detail to create the sand waves when something that massive is coming at you in the right. sand. That yeah. that was probably my favorite thing that they did that was totally worth it. It seems like it would be a small thing, but it just created a level of believability that and, and right. power that was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So even... It's not like, you know, there are scenes where they get really close to being, you know, eaten up by a worm and you'll see them try to try to escape. Now, in the previous films or, or however it can be depicted, you know, you can you can it seems like it's easy to run away. You know, this sand is collapsing beneath them. You yeah, know, it's almost like quicksand, right? Yeah, it's like a quicksand. So they're trying to run away while getting sucked in. And it adds to the suspense. They're like, boy, I don't I don't know if you can make it out of this. Yeah. You know, you know what? It- you know what it was like for me when I saw that? My mind immediately went to that scene in Jurassic Park where the tr- uh, the first one where the T-Rex is coming and that you see that water glass and the water just starts vibrating yeah. with the boom, yep. boom like yeah. that. And you start seeing the desert do that ripple and yep. you're like, oh, shit. 
you know, and that yeah. was an iconic scene in, in a way of, of portraying that something is coming in, in a daunting way. Yeah. And it's those little things that can completely make a movie. And people still talk about it. Bill, you're still referencing that, that scene mm -hmm. in Jurassic Park. People are going to yeah. reference these sand scenes, I think, in, in those worms coming yeah. know, for, for years to come because that was done really well. That's not done in a whole lot of movies. Right. Right. I would agree. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was great the way they did that. It's just so many of the little things, um, mm -hmm. you know, when they uh, when they fire those uh, those uh, poison needles, you know, mm -hmm. and they race across the room and then they hit the shield and then they just slowly work Wind through the personal yep. shield mm -hmm. and you're fighting to try to get it out because, you know, you've got, you know, seconds <laughs> before it gets God. through the shield yeah. and kills you. And you're just panicking. That would be that would be kind of a horrifying thing, uh, I yeah. think. So yeah, that, just a lot of the little things like they did like that that I thought was great. And also the the costumes, um, the yeah. still suits worn by the Freeman. I mean, for yeah. being kind of an all grayish kind of a suit. I mean, there's so many layers and pieces yep. to that. I thought they did a great job making. Yeah, those, they they uh, really went for authenticity there. Even yeah. though it's, it's a made-up suit, right? It's, yeah, right. But but they uh, they went to such lengths that you can just see every detail. Um, so not just in the scenery, but then you can zero in almost on any part of the suit. And they basically left it to like, look, we're going to make this in the highest resolution possible, which means everything has to be pristine. Right. See that, you know. Right. Look at and, those suits. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah, and I guess um, Seth, for our listeners, do you want to describe what the purpose of those suits is? Is how they work for those that may not be familiar with Dune. Uh, well, the the still suit is the way that the Fremen survive out in the desert. Uh, it's basically a full body suit covers everything except for just a patch of skin. Uh, in the picture that Linda's got up right now, you can see everyone with their hoods off and whatnot but uh, in other parts in the film you'll see them completely suited up and all you can see is just the face and uh you are at one point you'll hear kinds uh say that uh wearing a properly fitted still suit you will lose only a thimble full of water a day in the desert whereas yeah. two hours out in the morning sun is enough to kill a person on arrakis Mm -hmm. without without such a thing so and the suits pretty much they recycle your your sweat yeah. all of your moisture your all exhalations yeah 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 all excretions yeah, yeah. and I then mean, they make it's... it they make it available as water that you can drink then uh through uh there's like a tube i think there's that a they... tube in the mask yeah that you can drink and yes it's a little disgusting but it's also kind of cool yeah yeah it's a way to survive. And I wonder how um, many people are like, man, I got to stop eating garlic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it filters that out. Yeah. But, one I mean, would there's hope. There's got to be some pretty, uh, some pretty gnarly cleaning of those things that goes on. You don't, I don't think you want to work in the part of the sitch where they, uh, they're hanging Still those up at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Now the out. yeah now the interesting thing that we didn't really see any of until the very end 
was the Freeman writing the worms. Oh. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I was really surprised when um, I can't remember what the actress's name was that uh, she was heading out and she activated that thumper and she was going to go yep. tell everybody what was happening on Dune that the Harkonnens uh, attacked and wiped out the uh, Atreides uh, family. Sharon and Duncan Brewster. Oh, right, yeah. Played uh, Liet Kynes. There you go. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's out in the desert and she's got the thumper to call the worm. And she's got her hooks there. And I thought, oh, this is great. We're going to get to see her right oh, worm. This is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And then, no, she just, yeah, yeah it gets I, taken I, I out. It was like almost jumping out of my seat because she, she's up at the top of the dune hills and she whips out her. I know. I, know. I was like, finally. Yes. And then hey. get swallowed up by a worm. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting when she got stabbed from behind. Yeah. You saw a spray of water and not yeah. of blood because she was in her still suit. Right. That was interesting. And then where they do that. Yep. That yeah. Cool. And then, uh, but I liked when she hit the ground, she knew she was done for as she's surrounded by the, the, uh, yeah, the Harkonnen soldiers. And she just starts rhythmically pounding the sand, mm -hmm. which of course, calls the worms and of course i'm dead but i'm taking you with me right Hell and then yeah. they, that's where we see them all start sinking into the sand as the worm approaches and the sand kind of turns to quicksand and then and then all of a sudden you see this giant maw opening as things fall in yeah. i thought it was amazing uh one of the parts that really helped i think show the scale of the worm was when the uh, harvester just got mm -hmm. swallowed up yeah i mean you see this gigantic harvester on the planet you know scraping this um spice off of the surface and of course the the harvester breaks down and um it's trapped uh trap well no it didn't break down i guess the the worm was coming and they were yeah. calling they in a device in to, to yeah. take the transporter and lift it off of the ground and move it to a new area but the thing that came in to haul it away malfunctioned, so they couldn't get it off the ground. So they had to evacuate the troops off of it that were manning the thing. And then, uh, you know, you see the worm get there and then all of a sudden the, the, this gigantic harvester starts sinking into the sand. And, and then all of a sudden you just see this gigantic maw and it just falls in there. So apparently yeah, the worms are into heavy metal. Yeah, a couple, <laughs> talk about the worms here for a minute. So a couple things on those. One, for, for those of you that don't, that don't understand what attracts the worms, um, it's this rhythmic kind of impact on the sand that, that, that disturbs them. So they, they tend to show up for that. The way the, the Fremen cross the, the desert and stuff like that, there's a desert walk that they do that's supposed to mimic the natural flow of like the environment in the sand. So uh, that, that's how the Fremen cross the desert and get around. Um, to your other point, Bill, on the scale of the worms, this was actually the other scene I was going to mention was there's, there's two or three scenes in the, in the film where they do a great job of giving you an awesome visual of the worm, but also a scale yeah. um, mm -hmm. so you understand how big it is. And in that scene, um, I still want to see it in theater. Uh, I, I watched it at home, um, but uh, the, the visual from that is pretty great. And, and I'm really looking forward to going to the theater to see it because I just want to see how much you get pulled yeah. into it the shots they do are very much intentional and you feel like you're paul standing in front of this worm at one point in one of the scenes that shot and it's right. pretty overwhelming yeah, yeah they, there were there were a, quite a few scenes 
Like I was gonna go see it in the theater, but we ran into some difficulties. Uh, so we also watched it on HBO Max. But I am definitely seeing this in the theater. Yeah, yeah I there think was, there were several scenes where I was like, "Oh man, I want to see this on a big screen." Yeah, yeah. just uh, the wide shots of the the desert planet. I think mm-hmm. on the big screen would just give you such a scale of the the desolation and the the heat mm-hmm. and the feeling of you know how hard it would be to survive out there. It would just bring all of that home. And then even the space scenes where you see the giant uh, space guild ships and all of these uh, frigates that on the planet's surface seem enormous, but yet in the scale of these giant guild transport ships are just right. like, you know, fleets. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So I think all of that would really come alive on the big screen. So I do want to definitely see it at the theater. So one last thing I think we should talk about, I mean, we kind of touched on it a bit as, as how amazing the music was. And I've read it described as like a reset for Hans Zimmer because you can tell Hans Zimmer music and he he really took on some new sounds and new melodies for this this movie that I, I absolutely appreciated. And I they I guess they've released his soundtrack in three albums for this movie. And I can totally see why. Yeah, it was great. I thought yeah, the, the music, music was it, you. It, the music worked so well that you don't really even notice it. Mm-hmm. And that's so- that's tough to do i think sometimes yeah i don't like i don't know if this was just me though but i liked the music but it just seemed to be mixed into the movie so loud sometimes that you couldn't hear characters hmm. and maybe that was intentional i don't know i'll i mean i'll i it wasn't memorable for me i remember it being good yeah but it was the the scenery and specific scenes were what I took away, and I'm I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty audio when it comes to to movies. I I I know themes to movies pretty well, even in just very very small clips. Yeah. Um, I couldn't pick one out for you in, in terms of uh, of Dune, and so that's not not to say that it was it was bad, but there's no uh, reoccurring theme I guess I could pick mm. out. However, it did feel authentic and, and spoke to the different houses. I think and to the current situation um but uh it wasn't something i walked away thinking you know the score was amazing i'm going to say it was just because it seemed to to mesh so well with everything mm-hmm. else going on but it wasn't a standout thing yeah no you're right now that you mention it i didn't walk away like what's the theme of doom if you mm-hmm. were to play that in the background like everyone you play jurassic park you play terminator you hear those beats and you know, yep. oh, this movie. I now that you mention it, no, that is a good critique that there is mm-hmm. no see, there's nothing I, that stood out from that. See, for me, like I was still hearing the score from uh the David Lynch movie in a lot of the scenes. That's <laughs> da 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 da. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I don't. Um, yeah, the music for me didn't really jump out. I mean, it seemed like it was right for the show. I don't remember it being too loud, but I got to watch it again. And I think seeing it in the theater will probably make a big difference as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I appreciated the moments of silence when there was no music. Yeah, because yeah. I felt that helped put draw a score you to everything. There are moments where it should just be silence. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Agreed. All right. Well, um, I guess we'll go ahead and wrap it there. Um, it's uh, heartily recommend you get out and see uh, Dune either in the theater yeah. or on HBO Max or both, which uh, mm -hmm. I think a number of us are going to do um, and uh, get out there and enjoy it. So uh, thanks for listening to another episode and uh, we will catch you all next time. Next time we'll be talking about uh, Apple's new foundation series uh, or be about six episodes. in. So uh, be sure to tune in for that. Take care. Yeah. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Galactic Driftwood Podcast. For more information and past episodes, please visit our website at galacticdriftwood.space or subscribe to us on YouTube. And now, please deactivate your cranial downlinks, collect your towels, and be sure to watch your step as you exit our gravity well.